Annenberg Media. This is the Annenberg Learner Podcast, where we aim to elevate the education profession through conversations that inspire, recognize, and encourage innovation and best practices in the field. We track the lived experience of teachers, students, and parents alongside the ecosystem that serves them. Guest speakers will share what's working and the steps we can take to reimagine and redesign teaching and learning for our most vulnerable populations. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Annenberg Learner Podcast. With me today is Statistics in Schools or SIS. Statistics in Schools or SIS brings school subjects to life using real world Census Bureau statistics to create materials for K-12 students. The SIS site includes engaging resources and activities in social studies, math, English, geography, sociology, and more. Statistics in Schools is designed by teachers for teachers, and the resources are easy to use, easily customized, and are completely free. Very excited to welcome Victoria and Jessica Palmer. Uh, Victoria Glacier manages the U.S. Census Bureau Statistics in Schools program and has more than 25 years of experience in federal communications. She joined the Census Bureau in 1990 and has worked as a media liaison and marketing specialist on a variety of projects. And Jessica Palmer works on the Statistics in Schools program at the US Census Bureau and has over nine years of federal government experience. She joined the program in 2012 and has contributed to the initiative to make SIS resources available to educators on an ongoing basis. Very excited to learn more about this topic and trends around teaching statistics. As we all know, data is everywhere, and the ability to understand and use data is an essential skill for understanding the world around us. Welcome, Jessica and Victoria. Thank you. Hi, thank you so much for this opportunity. Well, I'd love to start with uh, why statistics? So if you really think about it, statistics and data are all around us. We can check the weather or even statistics for our favorite sports team at the touch of a button. So we try to show teachers that for all grade levels and subjects, there is cool data out there. Not to mention the Bureau of Labor Statistics shows that statistics related jobs are on the rise and the job outlook is 33%, which is much faster than average. Our goal is to help prepare students for a data driven world. One of our goals is just to show teachers and everyone that statistics is a scary word and a mouthful, but it's not just high school math. I like to give an example of my son that he probably hates, but math was like such a struggle for him. He didn't like it. He didn't like it. Every year we would just struggle through that class. He'd be the first one to come to me every Sunday to like give me stats for his favorite football team. Or lately he likes to talk about how like Top Gun versus the Marvel movie is doing. And I, I tell him, I'm like, you are doing math. Like you don't understand. There's so many, so many places and, and that it's, it's not a scary thing. And, and there are cool ways to incorporate it to, to help our students build those data literacy skills. Yeah, that's a great point. When I think of statistics, I think of high school and college. I'm curious, Vicki, how early can students or do students start getting that exposure that would be useful long-term? Well, and that's one of our missions too. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about it is, you know, from kindergarten on, 
Like we can do cool things. We can show you, you know, how many other kindergartners are in your state or, or we can lead you through just doing a simple survey in your class, just this, from simple bar charts to things that kids can relate to, you know, and further up through the years as, as they're learning different things in all kinds of subjects. There, there's something statistical that can support it, but, you know, I kind of wish we had a different word than, than statistics. Yeah, that's a great point. It does sound a little intimidating and your idea of just surveying, I mean, kids love to hear what, what their peers think. So that seems like a very easy entry point for uh, K-12 to get into statistics. And I'm curious about your the website, who uses it and what kind of materials are available to those that access it. We have a lot of great resources on our website for educators from K through 12. We have fun facts activities, which are based off of our Census Bureau Facts for Features, which is more of a higher level thing that's easy for students to understand. So these are mainly centered around holidays, special observances, and heritage months. Great. And just just to highlight a few of our most popular activities, we have an elementary school activity that teachers love. It's called Where is Gina the Geographer? And it basically gives students a bunch of clues and they use one of our data tools called State Fact for Students and they help solve a mystery of where Gina is in the United States. Did you know? States with the oldest populations include Maine, Vermont, and New Hampshire. States with the youngest populations include Alaska, Utah, and Texas. How do educators find out about SIS? It seems like a great resource. So we have a couple different avenues. We actually have an ambassador program, which is a collaborative effort between educators, librarians, and the Census Bureau to kind of get the word out about the program and get it to other their other colleagues as well. And then we also do have a monthly newsletter and emails that we send out each month with resources available. And I was just going to add that we recently partnered with Kahoot. And, and that's been a lot of fun for us because that that definitely has put the focus on how can we pull out the really interesting data. And we just recently put up a game called Fireworks and Road Trips, slide into summer with census data. We're going to have future games on Hispanic Heritage Month, STEM careers. We went live with that this year and we've had... I think over 110,000 players, you know, in the United States and Canada and, and the United Kingdoms. It's a fun way to kind of get your little, you know, 12 question quiz to learn about facts in the United States. That sounds great. I love Kahoot. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. The song is uh, catchy. <laughs> Did you know there were a total of 63 zoos and botanical gardens in California in 2020? I'm curious what your thoughts are on a little bit of debate around statistics versus calculus as, as a path towards college. So to be completely honest, I, I don't actually know much about that debate, the statistics versus calculus. I can speak to statistics being that we are the Census Bureau and just why they're important. And as Vicki mentioned previously, how it is imperative to work with children at a young age, you know, not just high school and beyond, to get them familiarized with charts and numbers and to help strengthen their statistical literacy. And this is why we have, you know, our program is it's so beneficial to get students involved at a young age and using real life relevant data, not not just the made up data from textbooks. Yeah, that's really important. I'm also curious how comfortable teachers are that may not have the background either in accessing these resources, teaching it in their classrooms, 
Uh, when I think about elementary, a teacher is responsible for teaching all subjects, right? And sometimes these areas can be intimidating as an educator, let alone for students. What kind of supports are available for the educator to feel more comfortable leading their classroom on, on these topics? For each activity and for our fun facts, we, we do everything we can to provide teaching guides and, and topics taught and skills taught. And, and we try very much to target what they're doing in the classroom to just supplement what they already have going on. So there shouldn't have to be you know, a whole lot of, of stress going into it. For example, Jessica mentioned the state facts. So we target third to fifth graders because we know they're learning about their state. And it's a very easy interface. We've got like six activities that support it. Kids can learn fun things about dentist office or candy makers. They can look at the number of kids their age in their state. They can go to other states and compare it. They can learn historical information about what it looked like 10 years ago. So it's not, again, you know, back to that statistics being a scary word. Like we've We've given tips and tricks, worked with teachers to create this program. So in doing that, we've tried to make it as easy as possible. Did you know Texas had the most amusement parks in the country in 2020 with 71? He shared the exploring the 1950 census fun facts. That sounded really interesting. Can you talk a little bit about that? The Census Bureau recently released data from the 1950 census. Mm -hmm. So census records are confidential for 72 years. So after 72 <laughs> years, you know, they're released. And, and there was, you know, a lot of fanfare. There's people that can look up their family uh, name and then find out things about grandparents or whoever. I know Bob, was it Bob Ross, the, the artist, you know, certain mm -hmm. famous people that anybody can go and see what they're doing. But um, we know jobs are changing. But just to really see that, you know, we started back then collecting job data when someone was 14. And just the age, you know, right now we're, we're late 20s for marriage, but then it was, you know, late teens, early 20s. Uh, you know, I am not a statistician, but that that kind of thing is just about our our society and our country and how things have changed is just fascinating. Yeah. So I'm still stuck on the 72 years. Why 72? For my my length of time at the Census Bureau, that's always been one of those things. It, it a lot of people think it's like life lifetime, right? Like you won't be around after 72 years, but that's not actually it. I, I actually don't know that we know for sure where that 72 years came from. Huh. Um, but it's very cool. You should go in and check it out. It's very easy. And the, the more the data has been out there, the more other companies kind of make it easier. And there, there's teams of people that go through and try to make it um, easier for people to search. And one of the things I'm actually going to miss, because you can, it was still handwritten up until this census where it was online. Mm -hmm. So you can still see, you know, the handwriting of either the, the person in your family or the census taker. I'm curious, so you mentioned that some of these are handwritten. As a user, if I go on the site, can I uh, look through old records that are handwritten? How does that work? You definitely can. And it, it's actually, once the census is done, we hand over, sorry, our records to National Archives. So that is where you would go to find the information you're looking for. And it's pretty prevalent on their site. So you can go in and you can type in last name or anything you know, a state or a, a residence to try to drill down to finding who you're looking for. Did you know there were 427 ice cream and frozen dessert in the United States in 2020? Wow, that's 
really fascinating. You mentioned that they can look up like their family or they, their ancestry. Yes. Like I was looking up my family, you know, and just to be able to see like my, my parents mm-hmm. and their relatives, you know, before they were my parents, <laughs> before they met each other. It is very interesting. Sometimes people find surprises or <laughs> things they weren't expected. You know, a lot of people also use the census records to verify that they were born and, and to get a passport. A lot of people oh. don't think that, you know, these were official kind of records to document where people lived and, and what their household looked like. Yeah, it reminds me when that sometime in elementary, maybe middle school, we would do the family tree activity, but it would have been a much more enriching experience to have the data, <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and and with, with the fun facts, we created a couple versions of a family tree activity for just for that. It's kind of what, what we hope to do, right? Like you're doing something in the classroom, but we can kind of add to it with that data and just make it that much more enriching. Are there uh, new activities coming down the pipeline that haven't been released similar to that supplements what's happening in the classroom? We're always creating new things, you know, especially this year and and moving forward, all of the data from the big 2020 census Mm -hmm. is coming out. So we will be updating what we have and we'll be creating new based on on different stories that are going on. And, you know, whether that's in history or math, one of the, the activities that I find really interesting, and this is for an elementary set, we talk about what names mean and we kind of do a narrative of about, you know, reading books and, and just talking about people's last names. And then you look at the 1990 census, you look at the 2000, the 2010, and then we will update it for 2020. But you really see in a very, very kind of cool way, because it's on a name tag, you see how much things have changed from what the last names were, the top 20 last names in 1990 to compare to 2010 and and what they'll be for 2020. So everything we have, we will be updating with the latest data. And just just to add to that really quick, coming up within the next few months, we'll be updating our back to school fun facts, Hispanic Heritage Month fun facts, and then we'll also have lots of cool Constitution Day resources for September. Thank you. Who's behind creating all of this great content besides you? In creating this, we have teachers and we have the Census Bureau subject matter experts. Mm -hmm. We definitely wanted teachers on board so we knew what we were doing would be relevant and useful in the classroom. And then we have, you know, the Census Bureau. We, we had talked to some teachers before we started the program just to learn how they, they got information or what they did. But we were, were told that, you know, the Census Bureau is gold and they knew. They didn't always know what they were saying in the classroom in terms of using Google, but they knew if it came from the Census Bureau that, that it was pretty reliable. So just having the teachers along with our, our statisticians We've been able to create some some great things. That's great. I know uh, educators always love material that's been created by their peers. So that's uh, awesome. Um, it makes it relevant for the classroom. Did you know about seven out of 10 people, 14 and over, were married in 1950? Today, that is about half of people 14 and over. I'm curious how the, the pandemic and distance learning changed or impacted SIS in terms of the access to materials. And then on a separate note, maybe you could speak to just the experience of collecting the census during, you know, in 2020. Let us see. I know during the pandemic, we kind of had to regroup because we were doing some in-class lessons and and things. So we put together teaching kit for for carryovers and people at home, but we also got really creative with Kahoot kind of, we started 
thinking things we could do virtually. And, and two other things that came from that that we're still refining, but we've had some practice with is virtual field trips where we'll bring in the kids virtually and try to be really interactive with taking them through either their state. We have a couple different things depending on the grade level and just showing them the, the kid-friendly data we have. And another thing that we've we've actually got a lot of requests uh, virtual experts, like Zoom and expert. We've had geographers, you know, come into the classroom or after school clubs and answer activities. We've had people talk about the census and how it's done. We have something called the American Community Survey. So just a range of topics, everything from like diversity and what our country looks like to, to more of the subject specific things. We've been able to, to bridge that connection while we've been at home. Got it. That's great. The virtual field trips, I think, have really taken off in the last two years. And do you anticipate that that will continue, you know, now that most students are back in person? I think absolutely. I mean, like you said, it's, it's taken off, you know, and I enjoy, you know, a museum or the zoo or the aquarium, like watching that. I think that's something definitely we're going to be building out in the years to come. Did you know in 1950, 6% of the population completed four years of college or more? In 2020, that percentage was 38%. And then also one thing that I've seen in in talking to organizations that have transitioned during distance learning is the access to experts that all of a sudden we can plug into these folks that can sit in for a class for 15, 30 minutes and students get exposure without having to leave the classroom. That's, That's a really great experience. It is. It's hard to talk about like positives from all of this, but that that's been something that's been a change that I think has been successful. Just that, you know, finding ways to interact with each other more than just the, you know, getting on a plane and flying to a meeting. You mentioned about the ambassador program. If a teacher and or school site is interested in bringing the SIS program and materials to their school, what should they do? So they can reach out to us directly. We have more information about the ambassador program on our website, and it's actually under our about section and partner with SIS. They can reach out to our inbox and can provide more information from there. And then, as I mentioned previously, as we send out actually quarterly newsletters to our ambassadors, but in addition to that, we have monthly newsletters sent out to subscribers. So last question, I'm curious what you're reading, watching, or listening to these days. So I know I'm probably a little bit late to the game, but I actually just finished reading Where the Crawdads Sing because um, the movie just came out. So I'm hoping to get to the theaters to see that soon. Um, And as far as shows, I am, as with I'm sure many, many other people, hooked on Stranger Things. I have late to the party too, and I just finished up Bridgerton, and then I went over to Gilded Age, which those are both like kind of similar period pieces, which is fascinating, and I love the costuming. But with the statistics and school staff, I'm everybody's telling me I need to do the Stranger Things. I haven't, but it's on my maybe list. <laughs> I don't know. Have you have you guys seen that? I have not seen Stranger Things, but I have uh, read Where the Crawdads Sing and. Um, Bridgerton, I've watched season one, at least I haven't seen the second one. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, thank you for your time today and for the work that you do. I'm sure our listeners, our educators will be excited to find out about what's available on SIS. 
about the 1950 census. We can peek into the lives of some of the famous Americans born during this time and who first appeared in census records in 1950. Some of these include Jimi Hendrix, Annette Funicello, John Belushi, Muhammad Ali, Bob Ross, Arthur Ashe, Janis Joplin. The Annenberg Learner Podcast joins the catalog of multimedia professional learning content to support educators teaching in more effective ways. Annenberg Learner is the education division of the Annenberg Foundation. Learner supports the foundation's mission to encourage the development of more effective ways to share ideas and knowledge. Go to learner.org or contact us at podcast at learner.org.